Hi, this is Erica Potter. And this is Hunter Willis. And this is Hot Girl Briefing. Hey, Erica. Hey, Hunter. What are we going to be talking about today? We are actually going to be talking about U.S. investment in African trade. Okay, okay. So, you know, we're going back to the trade routes. We know that y'all loved the episode about free trade with America. Y'all really, like, blew that episode up. So we decided, you know, let's go. Let's have, like, a little bit of, like, a fun and fresh new take on it. And let's talk Africa. Because Africa is such a growing economy. I mean, like, it's crazy just how fast it's growing. Yeah, and I know we mentioned the African Continental Free Trade Area Agreement was into effect in 2021, back in our Keep It Brief episode about five good policy stories from 2021. If you haven't listened, go check it out now. But we wanted to kind of delve into a little bit more of the U.S. investment side of African trade, because I think we've covered the China aspect in African Mm -hmm. trade, right, Hunter? And even some other countries, like a little bit about Russia, trying to get their hands in there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let's kick it off with an initiative that I'd actually never heard about and was pretty intrigued to read about. It was called the Prosper Africa Initiative. Mm -hmm. And it's a U.S. government initiative to increase trade and investment between African nations and the United States. And actually in February 2021, Biden at the African Union Summit said about the Prosper Africa Initiative saying, quote, we must all work together to advance our shared vision of a better future, a future of growing trade and investment that advances prosperity for all of our nations. And there were like, there were a lot of deals that were going on through this initiative, right, Erica? Yeah. So all of our sources come from the website and directly the Prosper Prosper Africa Initiative website. So I'm sure they might be exaggerating just a tiny bit, you know, Mm. but Just kidding. We trust our media. 800 deals closed between the United States and African nations. So 800, which led to almost 50 billion estimated in exports and investments. You have the DFC, which is the U.S. International Development Finance Corporation. You have the U.S. Department of Commerce, U.S. Department of Homeland Security, the Executive Office of the President of the United States, the U.S. Department of State. You know, that's not really a crazy one. You would pretty much really expect that one to be there. U.S. Department of Labor, U.S. Department of Defense, U.S. Department of Treasury, U.S. Department of Transportation, U.S. Department of Energy, USDA, USTDA. You have the Exim Bank, the Export-Import Bank of the United States. You have the U.S. African Development Foundation, USADF. You have the U.S. Office of the Trade Representative, the USTR. You have the Millennium Challenge Corporation, MCC, as well as having the U.S. Small Business Administration in there. So you're having a lot of these big businesses, you're having a lot of government investment, but you're also having these like small businesses too, which is kind of one of those things of where, you know, they tend to get overlooked in these big initiatives like this. And, you know, you'll see a lot of like multinational corporations, you'll see a lot of government contracting, but you don't always see the small businesses included. So it's really nice to see that there is a home for small businesses within this giant initiative. Yeah. And the 2021 power Africa Power Report came out regarding USAID and their investment with the Prosper Africa Initiative. And they really focused on clean energy for the 2021. So here are some of the achievements from the program just in 2021 alone. So they added 1,329 megawatts of new electricity, 95% of it from renewable resources, 
from 24 power projects. Which like they, you love to see. You yeah. love to see, especially today when like energy security is such a big thing. I mean, especially with Russia and Ukraine going at it, energy security is such a big thing. You really need these renewable sources, especially so you're not so vulnerable to energy, you know, not having it. And so the fact that 95% of all of this new electricity is coming from renewables, that's insane. That's awesome. Yeah, and it gets even better. They join partners and allies to launch the Energy Access Relief Fund, a $100 million initiative to protect energy access for at least 20 million people. So they're not only creating this energy, but they're also protecting it, which I think is like a really great measure because, you know, you see all these deals and investments go through and sometimes without that follow through continuing on it kind of like dries up or declines Mm -hmm. but they're setting themselves up for success by again initiating funds to be able to protect it so they continue to have energy access yeah because i mean sorry not to cut you off but i mean how many projects do you see just going and you know being abandoned just because there's not the follow-through they don't put up the funding beforehand so then you know they get the first part of it done and the first leg of it and everything's great, everybody's so excited, and then there's no funding to finish it and to complete it and to keep it going. So the fact that there's already this funding there, you know, it makes for very good follow through. And it's a really good example of how these projects should continue going forward. Absolutely, and they aren't just relying on getting the renewable sources, they're also trying to reduce their reliance on coal, which in Southern Africa is a big source of energy, or at least previously, because they have pledged commitment to the Mega Solar Initiative, which is a partnership between the governments of Namibia, I apologize if I mispronounced that, yeah, and Botswana to generate up to five gigawatts of solar power, again, to reduce that coal, because there was, what, uh, about 6.2 million tons of CO2 emissions that they avoided, which is the equivalent of burning 6.8 billion billion pounds of coal. That's like how much they were doing before. And now they're investing into the solar power, into these renewable sources. I can't even like fathom 6.8 billion tons of coal. Like that is mind blowing to me. I mean, my car, my car, like a giant hunking metal thing weighs like 5,000 pounds. So the fact that this is the equivalent of 6.8 billion pounds that that's insane to me like that number is not like I hear it I see it I'm reading it I just almost can't even compute that of how big of a number that is yeah and then they're not even just like reducing again the coal and their environmental impact but they're giving first-time electricity access to 39.7 million people again this was just in 2021 alone and they electrified over 220 health facilities in nine countries with a 2.8 million dollar grant initiative so they're they're making moves in the renewable resources energy market for sure. Yeah, I mean, in addition to that, since 2013, Power Africa they've invested 49 million dollars in a 13 clean energy finance vehicles that have resulted in 1.6 billion dollars in commitments and 780 million dollars in actual investments. So. Vehicles in this case is not actual vehicles. Vehicles in this case is meaning more of like a funding vehicle. So, you know, the fact that they're putting this $49 million in there and they're getting, you know, $1.6 billion in commitments and $780 million in actual investments, that's such a great return for, you know, putting in $49 million. I mean, Power Africa is really using their economic leverage at this point 
to really go through and make sure that this is, you know, clean energy that's being produced here. Yeah. And that's just like one of the trade investments of the whole idea of the Prosper Africa Initiative. USAID, which was the United States Agency of International Development, is like a really big proponent of the Prosper Africa Initiative. And they have their own investment going around. They call it the USAID Africa Trade Investment Program fact sheet. And this is separate from what Power Africa was reporting about with the renewable sources and the energy or the clean energy. Their Africa Trade and Investment Program is designed to bolster their ability to boost trade and investment to, from, and within the African continents. However, the program did just start in 2021. It's said to go from 2021 to 2026, but they already have funding of 464 million contract ceiling. So their plan is to work hand in hand with private, the private sector to identify opportunities that deliver development impact, bring value to the private sector and position the continent for future growth. That is directly from USAID's website about their investment program. And again, that's just one another part of Prosper Africa that isn't even all of it. Yeah. So then, you know, we have the African Growth and Opportunity Act, the AGOA. So this has been enacted since 2000, and it's been at the core of U.S. economic policy when engaging with Africa, whether that's through commercial investment, you know, just overall country economic engagement. There's a lot of components that are going in here. So you're seeing the AGOA, they provide eligible sub-Saharan African countries with duty-free access to the U.S. market. And this is going on for over 1,800 products, in addition to the more than 5,000 products that are eligible for duty-free access under the generalized system of preferences program. So you're already seeing that, you know, Africa is getting this additional 1,800 products that are able to be accessed duty-free from the U.S. in addition to those 5,000. So to meet the AGOA's eligibility requirements, countries must establish or make continual progress towards establishing a market-based economy, the rule of law, political pluralism, and the right to due process. So essentially, this is all just big political speak for democracy. If you are practicing democracy and you are engaging in capital markets, and you are engaging with capitalism in a way that's more laissez-faire and not so state-centric like China, you know, because at the end of the day, you would classify China as more like state capitalist. You wouldn't describe them as communistic because their economy's not. It's 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 capitalism, but it's just the state running it. So Maybe it's a hunter to always bring China in. Yeah, I know. Sorry. I just you gotta always bring it back and forth. But they essentially the US is like, hey, we'll give you all of these accesses. We will have you be eligible for this as long as you're continuing down the path of democracy. So, you know, you always have to have to watch out for the caveats that are always coming along with all of these investments and you know eligibility requirements. So, you know, yeah, I was just China- gonna say they're obviously saying that just like nothing comes free. Like that's yeah. that the whole political jargon, you're like, it's democracy. No, it's just them being like. Nothing yeah. comes free. You will never, you will never get just free money. There's yeah, always like a caveat. TLDR, foreign policy, <laughs> foreign aid, it always comes with conditions, whether it's the US, whether it's China, whether it's Europe, whether it's South America, whether it's Australia, every piece of foreign aid always comes with some form of requirements and, you know, it comes with a motive behind it. I, I will never fully believe that a government's just giving money for the goodness of their heart when, you know, they could be giving money to their own citizens. So 
there's always something behind it. And so always look for those little things. But that's what the hot girls here at Hot Girl Briefing are here to tell you. We're here to break it down for you. Well, so. I'll at least like admit that some of the requirements to be eligible for this program do also serve in the interest of Africa. So for mm-hmm. example, like the, they have to have policies that reduce poverty, combat corruption and protect human rights. Like, I mean, that's like basic bare minimum that every mm-hmm. person should be afforded. But like, it's nice to kind of see like, hey, if you do these things, we can give you these benefits. Like it's enticing for both parties. Like, hey, mm-hmm. we'll treat our citizens right. And then we'll make profit from some trade. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why it's a deal. It goes both ways. It's not just the U.S. saying, you know, you're going to be a demo. You're going to be a democracy. You're absolutely going to be a democracy. You're fighting it hand over fist, but you're going to be a democracy. <laughs> no, I mean, like, ultimately, like, it does benefit African citizens as well, because, you know, you do have governments that are really working to reduce poverty, combat and protect human rights. You know, so all in all, it does benefit both parties. And in 2022, there were 36 of these countries that were eligible for AGOA benefits. So the countries that were not eligible were Burundi, Cameroon, Equatorial Guinea, Eritrea, Ethiopia, Guinea, Mali, Mauritania, Seychelles, Somalia, South Sudan, Sudan, and Zimbabwe. So, sorry, you were going to say something, Erica? Oh, no, I was just going to say, yep, there was a few of them that, like, they weren't necessarily reviewed for eligibility just because of, like, Equatorial Guinea and, is it Seychelles? I totally was going to say Seychelles. I think it's Seychelles. I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce it. We are so sorry here at Hot Girl Briefing. No, it, like my pronunciations that have been all around this podcast because I read in Spanish and it was like in in Spanish it'd be like Seychelles or something like that with the double L like with the Y so I'm like Mm -hmm. all over here but no so Equatorial Guinea and St. Kelly's graduated from the general system of preferences agreement which you know we mentioned before that like that already had 5,000 products um, eligible for duty-free access on its own so they were already like pretty well off with that and they so they weren't eligible for the AGOA benefits just because you know the AGOA was like you know what you're good and then Somali and Sudan never were reviewed for eligibility because they have not requested designation as the African Growth and Opportunity Act beneficiary countries. They're like, just not even like, nope, we don't want it. We don't want free trade. Don't don't even bother reviewing us. We don't want it. We don't need it. Y'all do your thing. We'll do our thing. Like, we don't want your democracy, your Western culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, sorry. Uh, no, and then I was just going to say that Rwanda was like temporarily suspended also back in like 2018. Rwanda has been a pretty conflicted state, I would say. There's been a lot mm-hmm. of issues going on in Rwanda, but they weren't suspended because of that. They were suspended due to an issue with not giving up secondhanded clothes. And they had a 60 day suspension from the United States. But according to all our resources, their suspension was up after the 60 days in 2018. So they are back on the list, but there was that little caveat. And I think they were the only ones to ever be suspended. Okay. All right. We see you. And so in 2015, Congress had passed legislation modernizing and extending the program to 2025. So AGOA imports to the U.S. for 2019, they totaled $8.4 billion, which was up 2.4% compared to the 2001, which was the first full year of AGOA trade. And within this, you're seeing that petroleum products, they continue to account for the largest portion of AGOA imports at 55% of 
all AGOA imports. So clearly, you know, the front runner, what do we always say on this podcast? Oil really drives the world around. Oil is what makes the world spin. So we're seeing it right here. It was 55% of the AGOA imports. Um, however, AGOA non-oil imports were around $3.8 billion in 2019, which is double the size as 2001. So some of the sectors that experienced sizable increases included apparel, cocoa powder, cocoa paste, macadamia nuts, and footwear. And as of now, South Africa is the largest non-oil AGOA beneficiary. So shout out to our South African listeners. Y'all are the largest non-oil AGOA beneficiary. So go y'all. Yes, all our South Africans listening, we see you. We see you being a non-oil AGOA beneficiary. That is the largest one. That is a pretty heavy accomplishment. I mean, like oil is just like kind of like that money that like you just get thrown money at you. You're like, I have oil and they throw money at you. But like to not rely on oil and be the highest beneficiary, claps. Yeah. Round of applause. South Africa is such like a like interesting economy of their own though. Like it's always really fascinating to me to always just kind of go and look at like South African history and like look at their economy. It's always just... It's always fascinating. We'll have to do an episode on it someday. We'll have to do it sometime soon. <laughs> yes, but, but like anyways. you mentioned, like you mentioned, not or oil was the 55% share. So literally almost at the same exact amount as the non-oil imports, which was the total 3.8 billion. We have Nigeria su- supplying mostly crude oil at a 3.1 billion just on its own, like just Nigeria. Hunter, if you want to read the other countries mm-hmm. that were trailing below. Yeah. So of course, then you have South Africa. So it's at $2 billion, which consists of mostly vehicles and parts, um, barrow alloys, nuts, jewelry, and wine. So as a hot girl, I love my wine. So shout out to you, South Africa. I always see a section for your wine. At Trader Joe's? Yes. Yes. Yes, There's always a South African section. I always look in that section. I'm like, hmm, I feel like they would have good wine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Trust me. We see you out here, South Africa. We see you. (laughs) Um, Angola at $605 million, which is mostly crude oil. Kenya at 518. $518 million, which is mostly comprised of apparel, macadamia nuts, and cut flowers. Ghana at $441 million with mostly oil, cocoa powder, cocoa paste, apparel, and baskets. Then you have the Republic of Congo, which is $410 million, which is comprised of mostly crude oil. And then the other leading AGOA beneficiaries are Lesotho, Ethiopia, Madagascar, and Mauritius. Yeah, and while we did mention that the amount of imports was 8.4 billion up 2.4% compared to 2001, it's actually gone down as compared to 2018. So the leading AGOA import categories, again, crude oil, 4.6 billion, taking the number one spot, but it's down 42% from 2018, which is like a pretty big like decline, I would Mm -hmm. say. I mean, that also comes from, you know, the pandemic that comes from the U.S. starting to produce more and more of our own oil. So Well, that was from 2018. So the pandemic wasn't a factor, oh. but you're absolutely right. It is due to the fact that the United States is more self-sufficient when it comes to their energy. So that is why that is the you know reason for the decline. OK, OK. But where crude oil falls, other Import rise. categories rise. They rise from the ashes of the crude oil. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Textiles and apparel were 1.4 billion, up 17%. And agricultural products were 656 million, which was up 9.5%. Well, However, then we go take it down. <laughs> must come down. 
So then you have minerals and metals, which was at $510 million, which was down 34%. Transportation equipment at $499 million, which was down 29%. And then you finally have chemicals and related products, which was at $434 million, which was down 11%. So taking all of those numbers, now we get to move into the fun part, the more like comparative politics of the episode, which- Well, I will say before we move on, I just wanted to make one quick note to you, Hunter, Mr. Mm -hmm. Russia, China specialist. Do you, (laughs) this is a question for you. Okay. Do you think now that we're kind of facing a little bit of an oil crisis, I mean, especially with the pandemic and with, you know, Russia and Ukraine, we, we made it this far without mentioning it. <laughs> <You know. laughs> no, we mentioned you, it a little bit. We mentioned do you it a think bit. that the oil imports from Africa to the United States will go up now that it's starting to get a bit more expensive? I can definitely see crude oil going up um, more so as just evening out kind of like the energy sector. What I see is, you know, now that the Europeans are not taking as much gas and oil from Russia, they need to still have electricity somehow. So, you know, you already have countries that are really looking at kind of like, hey, like, let's look through kind of like Turkey's pipelines. What do they got going over there? What do they got going kind of in the Middle East for some more oil? So I think you're going to have a lot of these European countries that are really looking elsewhere because, you know, you have... President Putin saying, you're going to have to buy these things in rubles, which is trying to drive up the demand for rubles because nobody wants rubles right now. They're not worth anything. You can't trade them in anything for any other currency in the world. There's no point in having a ruble right now because you're not going to be able to buy anything with it. So Dogecoin is worth more than rubles. (laughs) So basically you have (laughs) President Putin, who's really trying to drive up the demand for rubles by saying that unfriendly countries to Russia have to buy all their stuff from Russia in rubles, which, you know, the Europeans aren't going to do. So they're going to have to find crude oil elsewhere. So I definitely can see, you know, more and more imports and more and more imports from Africa going to Europe, being exported to Europe in oil and, you know, energy sources, because they just, they're going to need them. You, You can't have a bunch of people freezing in the, in the middle of the winter in Germany. It's just not gonna be a thing. You're gonna have you know, the German government really panicking, really trying to figure out anywhere and everywhere of how exactly they can get their energy needs met. And I do think that this is definitely one of the sources that they're not fully looking into. I mean, obviously they're looking into every, anything and everything, but I don't think that they're putting as much faith in Africa as they are more towards like the Middle East. So it's gonna be interesting to see how that develops the further that this conflict continues down the road. Yeah, definitely. Really, really long and winded on that one. I'm so sorry, basically short version of that. Eventually Africa is going to get tapped for their oil resources because the Europeans will refuse to freeze by not buying Russian energy sources. So they're going to have to get it from somewhere. And Africa is a very logical place to get this from. Yeah. I'm just curious about the United States because we are talking about U.S. investment in Africa. Do you think they're going to like kind of see the rising gas prices and put their tail between their legs and be like, okay, Africa, give me oil. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, you also have President Biden going and releasing some of the strategic 
petroleum reserves just to you know keep the prices down. It's not good to have high gas prices going into an election. Everybody knows that. If you've ever studied politics at all, you know one of the worst things you can have for you during your election campaign or during your re-election campaign is to have high gas prices because then you already know the other person's going to blame it all on you. When in reality, the U.S. president really has very little to do with gas prices overall. I just have to do a whole episode on oil and, you know, elections one day, because I think that would actually be a really fun episode. But Dr. Anyways, Matthew anyways, fails, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Back to our kind of comparative foreign policy, comparative politics approach. So Erica, normally I'm the one always talking about this lovely country that we've got ourselves here. Do you want to take, do you want to take the torch on this one? Yes. Let me have the China mantle. So <laughs> I know this is about U.S. investment in African trade, but what better way to analyze U.S. investment by comparing it to some of its similar cohort cohorts? Mm -hmm. So we we're doing politics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about China's role on the African continent, right? We've talked about it a little bit before with our Keep It BRI segment. Go ahead and listen to the Keep It BRIs if you haven't already. But they have. Their role on the African content, continent has been defined by the financing of more than like 3,000 largely critical infrastructure projects, which again, no surprise if you've listened to our BRI like segments, like mm -hmm. all about China's big Belt and Road Initiative. Which is so, all based on infrastructure. So here we yeah. are talking about it once again. <laughs> so no surprise there, but China has extended more than $86 billion in commercial loans to African governments and state-owned entities between 2000 and 2014, which is about an average of about $6 billion a year. And in 2015, at the Sixth Forum on China-Africa Cooperation, the FOCAC, President... FOCAC. Yes. I, I think I'd rather say FOCAC. Listen, all of the China scholars, the they all call it FOCAC. It's a fun little, fun little dorky thing. So for all you out there listening, <laughs> if you say FOCAC around like a China scholar, they're going to be like, oh my God, they know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't know, something about the way FOCAC rolls off the tongue for me. So maybe, maybe if I'm talking to you, I'll say FOCAC. But <laughs> so President Xi Jinping pledged $60 billion in commercial loans to the region. So China has now become the region's largest creditor, accounting for 14% of sub-Saharan Africa's total debt stock. Mm -hmm. So because of all this, two-way trade has grown 40 times over the last 20 years and now exceeds 200 billion, which is a lot of money. Lot of money. Mm -hmm. And then, so, Hunter, if you want to talk about the European Union. Yeah, so going into the European Union, analyzing kind of like their like African investment. So the Africa-EU Strategic Partnership launched the... It was at the first ever summit between the 27 EU members and the 54 nations of Africa in 2007. So the fifth EU Africa summit took place in Abidjan, Abidjan in 2017. Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> in 2017 against a background where two-way trade exceeds $300 billion. So there's a lot of trade going on here. During the 2017 summit, the EU pledged to mobilize more than $54 billion in sustainable investment for Africa by 2020. So offerings of free trade agreements and economic partnership agreements are the EPAs. So we see that there's a lot of more, there's a lot more free trade agreements, more economic partnership agreements between the EU and all of these African countries. You're also seeing a lot more coming out with the Global Gateway as well, which the Global Gateway is essentially Europe's way to combat the Belt and Road Initiative. So if you guys haven't checked out that episode, that's definitely a good one to kind of have like that comparative politics approach with. 
just because Europe really is trying to aim at limiting China's influence on the region because they know that they're so heavy in Africa. They know that China's really leaning into this investment in Africa because you need this infrastructure investment and this development funding, and it has to come from somewhere. So Europe is really deciding lately to step up with this Global Gateway Initiative and really go and help fund that. So some of those big initiatives include helping create pharmaceuticals within Africa. So they don't have to be the last in the supply chains to get these drugs and important life-saving measures. They want to focus on renewable energies, technology, things like that, just as how the Belt and Road is. So you see the European Union as well as China kind of going at a very similar route where it's one of their big initiatives. It's one of their big development things. So it's kind of interesting to see. But so it turns out the European Union and China don't have all that much of a different approach to Africa. They're kind of just going at it from the same way and trying to really just throw a lot of money into investment and development within Africa. Yeah, and I think that our source for this, talking about the competition between the three is, in my opinion, highlighting the way that China and the European Union like invest and specifically the way that they kind of mention how they're investing in two-way trade and how it's exceeding these numbers. Like China was... 200 billion or European Union was 300 billion, but the United States, they have more of a focus on growing Africa's export market rather than building a two-way trade and investment partnership. So that was from my reading the article, that's kind of what I took away is that they're comparing how the AGOA, which a non-reciprocal trade agreement, like how it kind of has a mixed legacy because it's not promoting that two-way trade that the European Union and China are doing. It's more so promoting what can the United States get from Africa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, like, as the hegemon, the U.S. has a unique position compared to the EU and China. So you're really seeing that play out here, where the U.S. is using this hegemonic position to really figure out how, how best to approach this whole situation. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like, this article, we talked about the great things AGOA is doing, but this article kind of highlights, like, how it might not be working anymore. They should maybe explore more of a two-way sided, just like China and the European Union. Because I mean, like we said earlier, the commercial engagement in Africa was mainly crude oil. And then mm -hmm. if the United States increases its energy self-sufficiency, they're no longer requiring that crude oil. So there goes like their biggest export from Africa. Yeah. I mean, when it's down 42%, like clearly, you know, things are really changing here in the composition of what exactly is being purchased. So you're really going to have to rethink that economic strategy at that point. Yeah. And it also highlighted that while there's only approximately 300 of the available product lines, they're, they're the only ones that are really utilized for a relatively small number of countries. Like we met, we mentioned how South Africa was the leading one. Lesotho, mm -hmm. Kenya, Mauritius, and Ethiopia have taken advantage of the AGOAs trade agreements, but I mean, there's what, 36 countries as of 2022, and there are what, five that were mentioned taking advantage of the beneficiary establishments of the AGOA. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely room for the AGOA to improve. And I hope to see that, especially with the, I mean, I know the legislation was modernized in 2015, but it goes until 2025. And I, I bet that things will change now that, you know, COVID and conflicts mm -hmm. are on the rise in Africa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, COVID really made all like economic thought kind of really shift in terms of supply chains, in terms of 
what goods are truly necessary, what goods are actually extremely vital. Before you didn't think, hey, rubber gloves, extremely vital to a nation moving forward. After COVID, you're like, oh my God, everybody has to have rubber gloves and a face mask. Like, you know, these things are critical to keeping a country going. So I mean, before you were like, yeah, they're important, but it's not going to like make the country burn down. And we clearly saw things with COVID just, COVID really just flipped the world over. (laughs) So it's kind of got a a lot of rearranging to do now. Absolutely. And, you know, I know we've spent most of this episode talking about U.S. perspective on Africa, European Union or China, but what does Africa have to say about their free trade? Like what is their stance on getting involved into free trade and breaking down those barriers to put more investment into Africa? So moving into, you know, just focusing Africa with Africa, Africa trading within Africa. So the African continental free trade area. So there are 54 out of 55 of the African Union member countries have signed the African continental free trade area by 2019. The only country to have not yet signed is Eritrea. And this went into effect January 1st, 2021. So as of 2021, 41 out of the 54 AU signatories have ratified the agreement. So yeah, you know, you can go and you can sign everything until you're blue in the face, but until you actually ratify it, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. It's just a lot of talk and not much walk. So 41 out of the 54 have, uh, of the signatories have ratified it. So according to the World Bank's assessment of the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, otherwise known as AFCFTA, this agreement will create the largest free trade area in the world. And this is measured by the number of countries participating. So the EU, yeah, you know, it was great. It was awesome. It was big. It's not as big as this. So this is the biggest free trade area in the world, which is kind of insane and really awesome to see. Because as we talked about in, you know, some of our past episodes, free trade really does help link countries together and create that economic interdependence to where conflict isn't as prevalent because you do have to rely on your neighbors. So you're not going to be fighting with your neighbors all the time if you're really depending on them to help you out and to make sure that they continue selling you things. So the pact connects 1.3 billion people across 54 countries with a combined GDP valued at $3.4 trillion. So for those of you that don't know, $3.4 trillion is so much money. So much money. I I would hope so. Yeah, so, so, so much money. Um, It has the potential to lift 30 million people out of extreme poverty, but this relies on putting in place significant policy reforms and trade facilitation measures. So there's obviously the challenges that are going to come along with this. So Erica, do you want to tell us kind of like the large scope of this free trade agreement? Yeah, so this is from the World Bank's assessment again, and again, this started in 2021. So obviously it's fresh, it's fresh and new. So their scope, they're saying, will reduce tariffs among member countries and cover policy areas such as trade facilitation and services. There will be regulatory measures such as sanitary standards and technical barriers to trade, and it will complement existing sub-regional economic communities and trade agreements in Africa, offering a continent-wide regulatory framework by regulating policy areas such as investment and intellectual property rights protection. And, you know, that's all great to hear, but let's talk about the specific policy areas covered by the AFCFTA, which would be, and this is directly from, again, the World Bank's assessment of 
the policy areas they directly mentioned in the African continental free trade area, which would be tariffs on manufactured goods, tariffs on agricultural goods, export taxes, customs, competition policy, anti-dumping, countervailing measures, state trading enterprises, technical barriers to trade, general agreement on trade and services, sanitary and phytosanitary measures, movement of capital, intellectual property rights, and investment. And they just addressed these policy areas. They didn't say whether or not they were increasing or lowering it. Um, it was just addressed in the whole agreement. That's important to note. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's pretty similar to the USMCA that we're seeing in America, Mexico, and Canada, or, you know, formerly known as NAFTA before it got redone into the USMCA. So this isn't all that much different from the USMCA. I mean, it deals with a lot more countries. There's a lot more, you know, working components within this free trade agreement. But otherwise, I mean, it's kind of just one of the normal free trade agreements where you're seeing a lot of the same things being mentioned in there. But well, they didn't cover everything. And mm -hmm. I'm actually kind of disappointed by it. Yeah. If you want to get into a hunter, I know I, I think I cut you off and I'm so sorry for that. But. No, you're good. You're good. I was just going to say, I mean, like they covered a lot, but there were also some really big things that were missing there. So some of the policy areas that the FCFTA did not cover include policy regarding state aid, public procurement, environmental laws, and labor market regulations. So it's those last two that get me. Yeah, you know, especially when it's like, hey, we're doing so good. We're putting a lot of money into renewables. We're doing this. We're doing that. But then, you know, you're going to have this giant free trade agreement, but you're not going to address these environmental laws. And, you know, you're also not going to address labor market regulations. So that's kind of where, you know, those are kind of some big things that are going on there that you're not really talking about. Which, you know, I mean, understandable, especially an agreement this size between this many countries. I mean, I, here's the thing. Model UN, it's kind of like the real UN of where you're going to have everybody having a very different opinion. Everybody's going to get upset about one little word that's included or not included. And sometimes that'll make or break an agreement. So the fact that the African Union was able to get this many policy areas covered under this free trade agreement is really awesome. It does just, it is really upsetting though that, you know, these last two, specifically the environmental laws and the labor market regulations were not included within this free trade agreement because those are really big things. And that's, you know, a lot to do with human rights issues, environmental issues, and especially when you're dealing with this many countries, you kind of want to be on similar pages, especially if you're having free trade with them and you're considering them, hey, guess what? You're kind of like my bestie. Because I mean, with free trade, it's kind of like, you, you know, you usually try to try and do it with your besties. So that's why the US is like, yeah, Canada, Mexico, you're my besties, I got you. The European Union, they're like, all right, we're besties. Except for Britain, because, you know, the whole Brexit thing. But <laughs> so... I mean, that's kind of one of those things where it's like, you want to be on the same pages with these major issues like that. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's amazing that they got 54 out of 55 countries to agree. And Eritrea said that they were going to sign. They still haven't, but they said they would after mm -hmm. one of the summits. So we will wait to see, but let's get into what's going on with it now. That was the World Bank's assessment. And that was before it actually began. That was before the trade agreement went to effect. So now it's it has commenced after a six month delay as a result of COVID, which is 
classic. You know, per use, par for the course these days. Yeah, but negotiations on several issues must be resolved before the agreement can actually fully function. So I still wouldn't even call it like that it's going on because they they've divided the negotiations into three phases. But again, they're still ongoing. Mm -hmm. So phase one negotiations are about trade and goods and services, and it led to the ratification of legal instruments, the AFCFTA agreement itself and protocols on trade and service and goods and settlement of disputes. So that came to a real force on May 30th, 2019, but they're still continuing. So there's some fine details, I guess they got to work through. Mm -hmm. And they have also moved on to phase two negotiations, which is the intellectual property rights, investment and competition policy. And again, those negotiations have begun, but once those end, they can finally move into phase three, which is about e-commerce. Mm -hmm. But again, there's still phase three, then we can get everything working. And also, I don't know if we mentioned it, but the AFCFTA Secretariat, which is the autonomous body within the African Union based in Accra, Ghana, and led by General Secretary General Wamkele Mene, I'm so sorry, Wamkele, I'm sorry, I mispronounced your name, but he's responsible for coordinating the implementation of the agreement. So it's not like one country in Africa, there's like a whole Secretary General, there's a whole thing. So mm -hmm. I have high hopes. Uh, Hunter, yeah. do you want to get into some of the economic benefits that are predicted yeah, to happen? So, so some of the predicted economic benefits are, so the World Bank estimates that by 2035, real income gains from full implementation of the agreement could be 7%, which is nearly $450 billion. And also by 2035, the volume of total exports would increase by more than 29% relative to business as usual. I mean, that's crazy that you're getting an extra $450 billion by 2035, as well as increasing exports by almost 30%. That's insane. I mean, that's only that's only 13 years away. And this is what the World Bank is estimating, 30% increase within 13 years. That's That's amazing. You're also seeing that some of the predicted benefits are that infracontinental exports would increase by more than 81% while exports to non-African countries would rise by 19%. So, you know, when you're seeing this continent, and Africa really has so much to offer. I don't think that we talk about the history of Africa nearly as much as we should, especially in Western scholarship. I don't think that Africa is really noted as the powerhouse that it actually is. And the fact that you're going to increase this trade by more than 81%, that's awesome because that's going to lead to less conflict. It's going to lead to more interdependence among one another. And ultimately, it's just going to lead towards the improvement of life and living conditions for all citizens across the board within Africa. So you're seeing these great benefits come from this. And at the very high end, countries like Cote d'Ivoire and Zimbabwe could see income gains of 14% each all the low end and some such as Madagascar, Malawi and Mozambique would see real income gains only around 2% though. So you're seeing some countries definitely benefiting more in these predictions than others. However, income gains are still income gains, whether it's 2%, whether it's 14%, that's still an income gain. That's more than you had when you started out with this. So as long as you're willing to go and put that effort in and you know receive the benefits that are coming from this, you'll still be getting that extra 2% as predicted. If that's 
you know, what comes true. But usually the World Bank is pretty good at these things. You know, they pay people a lot of money and they pay a lot of people to go through and conduct these studies. The World Bank is predicting all of these things. And so only time will tell us if they are true, if they have come true. But so far, it's looking good. It's looking up and up for Africa, especially coming through COVID. You know, they're really starting to, you know, as the world starts to kind of wind down a bit from COVID, I know that that's also more kind of, you know, the extremely developed countries like European countries and the US and, you know, China with the no COVID policy. So COVID's definitely still out there. It's still running rampant. We still are technically in a pandemic, but as we're seeing this kind of wind down a little bit now after going on, you know, a couple of years of the pandemic, you're starting to see Africa coming out of this a bit better. And you're seeing that the World Bank is really predicting by 2035 that there's going to be a lot of benefits coming to Africa. Yeah. And I will say about the World Bank's assessment, a lot of the advisors and people who researched it and helped come up with that assessment and prediction were some of them were former presidents to African countries. So I would say that that is probably one of the best sources Mm -hmm. to have. So I'm pretty confident and, you know, I can totally see why a country such as Madagascar might have lower income gains gains because they're, you know, they're like an Island. They, it's going to be harder for them to train. They're at the bottom too, like Mm -hmm. then say like a more central country. But like you said, we will just have to see. I mean, I don't know if I'll be waiting around till 2035 <laughs> to come back and report to you guys, but you know, you never know. If the hot girls are still around on Hot Girl Briefing in 2035, y'all will get that update episode. We <laughs> promise you that. You know what? <laughs> we might just come back. It might have to be a reunion at that point. Coming back just to go and release this episode in 2035 as an update for y'all. No, we'll give the update at the State of Union address when we're both senders. Yes, yes. That's actually how we're going to do it. It'll be, yeah. you know, televised through C-SPAN instead of you guys listening to it through whatever media platform you're using right now to listen to us. Yep, but I think that's all that we have for the U.S. investment in African trade. Um, again, we'll just have to wait and see how Africa, you know, comes out of implementing this free trade agreement and see how, you know, just the overall world free trade comes out of, you know, COVID now that, like you said, things have kind of started to go somewhat relatively back to normal, as normal as they could ever possibly be, Mm -hmm. (laughs) considering what happened. (laughs) Exactly. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. We hope that you guys like this episode. I honestly really liked having this episode. So thank you for bringing this topic up, Erica. I appreciate it. I hope that our listeners appreciate it as much as I do. If you guys do, please feel free to go on either Spotify or Apple Music and leave us a review. You can also leave us a review on our website. Fun fact. So you guys can go and send us any comments or questions there. We do have a question form down at the bottom if you guys have anything specific that you would like to hear from us. So if y'all have any topics that you're really wanting us to talk about, feel free to go and send that to us. We always check those. Honestly, there's been a few of our episodes that have been from you know, submissions from listeners. So definitely feel free. We can talk about it. Um, But we hope that you guys had a great time talking about African trade and investment with us. Yeah. Thanks so much for tuning in. And we will see you guys on our next episode of the Keep It BRI. Bye. Bye.